All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. Really good to have you with us today at all of our campuses. Uh, if you are new to our church since Easter, my name is Jason Strand. I'm one of the teaching pastors here on staff. And speaking of Easter, wanted to let you know what happened last weekend. Across our six campuses, we had 51,248 people attending Eaglebrook Church. Isn't that incredible? That is amazing. Just to give you a little bit of perspective, we've never been over 50,000 before, so that was a historical landmark in the life of our church, and it was up 16% on last year. So it's just amazing to see what God is doing in this place. But if you've been around here for any amount of time, you know that what gets us really excited is not attendance, it's people. It's individual people who put their faith in Christ and they see God working in their life in a way that they maybe have never experienced before. And so last weekend, we had 734 kids and adults make a decision to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that is really what excites us. As my grandpa used to say, if that doesn't get you fired up, then your wood is wet, right? Isn't that a great, great statement? But you might wonder, why is it that that gets us so excited? And the reason is, is because we believe that what Jesus says is true. That if left to ourselves, we will just drift, drift into eternity away from God, and that's a death and a separation. But if we put our faith in Christ, if we get united to him, then we have eternal life and the promise and the assurance of that. And so, so proud of those 734 who made that decision to put their faith in Christ. This weekend, we're kicking off a brand new series called I Believe in God, But, because the majority of Americans believe in God. 89% according to the most recent Gallup polls, which is shocking when you consider what pundits were saying just 10 years ago. In fact, in 2006, Wired Magazine coined the phrase, new atheism. Authors like Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins were a part of this supposedly growing group of atheists that were going to eradicate belief in God. That was 10 years ago. Today, 90% of Americans still believe that God exists. But for some of them, there's a but. There's a question or an objection. For some of you, that might be an intellectual kind of but, where you say, you know, I believe that God, in God, but I'm just not sure about the Bible or absolute truth. For others, it's more of a cultural kind of but, where you say, you know, I believe in God, but Christians just seem so intolerant to me. And that's really bothered me, and I just don't know what to do about that. And for others of you, it's more of a personal kind of butt. And if you're in middle school, you ought to giggle at that because everybody's got a personal butt, right? It's not what I mean. <laughs> but a personal butt would be like, I believe in God, but I just want to have fun. And we're going to talk more about that one next weekend. This week's butt is a big one. Comes in all different shapes and sizes. <laughs> this weekend's butt is, I believe in God, but how do I know for sure? Have you ever wondered that before? Ever thought, you know, I believe in God, but how do I know for sure? I mean, how do I know if this is true or not? Part of the problem in answering that question that I've noticed as a pastor is that more and more people are flippant when it comes to their faith. Kind of reminds me of a game that's the rage amongst young kids these days. It's called bottle flipping. If you don't know what bottle flipping is, consider yourself lucky maybe, but here's how this works. You take a bottle, like this one, a water bottle, usually about a third full, and you just flip it, and you hope that it's standing upright. I asked my 11-year-old son, I said, what is the point of this? He said, there is no point. 
I said, well, then why do people do it? He said, something to do. And so I thought to myself, you know what? I have got to give this a try. I enlisted some experts in my life, bottle flippers. Take a look at the side screens. Well, hey, Eaglebrook, we're here at the offices. And as you can see, I brought some company with me. I've got my kids, Isabel, Jasper, Hudson, and Micah. These guys are expert bottle flippers. We're gonna have some fun and show you how it's done. Here we go. All right, as you can see, we have some major bottle flipping skills. We had fun, I hope you did as well. Guys, do you think we can do one more? Yeah! All right, here we go. One, two, three. people last night asked me if that was real, if we had edited that video or not. I said, well, the last one obviously was not real, but the rest of them absolutely were. Uh, in fact, I was the one who took the most time. My, it took me forever and a couple of mine. My kids were getting those in like second, third try. It was amazing. But I have to thank Calvin Christian School for allowing me to pull my kids out of school for the dumbest reason in Minnesota educational history. Uh, I also need to thank our staff who lost an entire day of productivity that they could have been getting work done and helping this church grow and get better, and they had to deal with my kids flipping bottles around the office. Now, I was with my son at a basketball tournament down at Jordan Middle School in Jordan, Minnesota, and they had these signs plastered all up around the school. I want to read this to you. It says, no bottle flipping. Hey, kids, we know you think it's really cool to bottle flip, but it's really annoying to most adults, including your parents. And since an adult is probably buying your lunch today, you don't want to annoy them. That person deserves Teacher of the Year. Whoever wrote that is a genius. Yeah, so go ahead and clap for that. Now, here's what I've noticed about bottle flipping. It doesn't matter if you miss. I mean, there's no pressure to get this right or make sure the bottle is standing upright. If you miss, you just kind of keep flipping. Unfortunately, that's not a bad analogy for how some people treat their faith. They're rather flippant about it. In fact, I'll hear people sometimes, they'll say, you know, I don't know what happens after we die, but I, I guess I'll just figure that out when I get there. And whenever I hear that, I can't help but think of Hebrews 9, verse 27, which says that it's destined that each person dies only once. 
and after that comes judgment. In other words, you don't just get to keep flipping until you get this one right. There's one death, there's one judgment. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to bottle flip through life and just hope that I'm standing upright on judgment day. Because you only get one shot on that one. Or I'll hear other people and they'll say, you know, I I believe that God exists and and that's good enough for me. And this actually used to be me in high school. I didn't go to church growing up. I didn't follow Christ. But if you had asked me, do you believe that God exists? I would have said, absolutely. Problem was, it didn't change my life very much. I believed, but I didn't know. Look at what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5. John writes this. He says, I write this to you who believe in the Son of God. So he's writing to people who say, yeah, I I believe. Who believe in the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John wrote a whole letter in the New Testament to people who would have said, yeah, I, I believe that God exists because he wanted them to know. He didn't want them to be bottle flipping on judgment day. And that's what I want for you today as well. I want you to know. In fact, let me ask you, what difference would it make in your life if you just knew that you knew God? I mean, if you just woke up every morning and you just knew, I know Jesus Christ and I have eternal life waiting me, what difference would that make? I'll bet you'd be a little less anxious about the future because you would know that your future is secure. I'll bet you might have a greater capacity to deal with the tragedies of life because you would know the God who promises to work all things for the good of those who love him. I'll bet that you would have more confidence and assurance because you would know. John says this, he says, I write this to you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not just that you would believe that he exists, not that you would wish, not that you would bottle flip and hope that you're standing upright on judgment day, but that you would know. Part of the problem is, if you're like me, is that sometimes you don't feel like you know. Doubt starts to creep in. You know, you come to Easter last weekend, 734 of you, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and then you go into the week, and you start taking some hits, and life starts dinging you a little bit, and you start to kind of worry and wonder. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Mark chapter 9, verse 24. And this man is speaking to Jesus, and he says this, I do believe but help my unbelief. And isn't that the tension that we have, that we believe, but there's times when unbelief starts to creep in. And so here's what I want to try and do today. I want to try and help your unbelief. I'm not going to be able to prove the existence of God to you in the next 15 or 20 minutes. In fact, if you have some really deep questions, I want to encourage you, dig into this. Let me recommend two resources to you. They're a book called The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith, by Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a former atheist who was working as a journalist at the Chicago Tribune. And he went out to try to disprove Christianity. He began to investigate the claims. And he interviewed scholars. And he would ask them questions like, well, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And how do you know the Bible's really true? And he put those conversations into two books. There's actually a movie that's just been released about Lee Strobel's life and this dramatic story of how he came to faith in Christ. It's called The Case for Christ. You ought to go see the movie and then read the books. But I'm not going to be able to prove the existence of God to you in the next 15 or 20 minutes, but I do hope to give you something to think about. And I do hope that there are some of you here today who might struggle with faith, and you could leave today and go, you know what? I don't just believe that God exists. 
but I have the assurance and the peace of knowing it. That's faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says this about faith. It says, what is faith? It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things that we cannot yet see. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Evidence of things that we cannot yet see. In other words, faith is related to things that we can't always yet see. So there's going to be an element of unanswered questions involved. But he says it's not a blind faith. This isn't tooth fairy, fairy tale kind of stuff. It's faith based on the evidence. So I want to give you three pieces of evidence today that point to the existence of God. They are science, morality, and experience. Let's begin with science. Have you ever heard somebody say before that science has disproven the existence of God? The atheist Richard Dawkins, he puts it this way. He says, you know, if you want to believe in unicorns, or tooth fairies, Thor, or Yahweh, well then the onus is on you to say why you believe in it. The onus is not on the rest of us to say why we don't. Now I used to believe that that was a compelling kind of argument, but I've since come to realize it actually cuts both ways. Because the agnostic physicist, David Berlinski, and agnostic just means not sure what to believe, but this guy isn't even a believer in Christ, and yet he has written a scathing critique of Richard Dawkins, the atheist. Here's what he says in response. He says, has anyone ever proved the inexistence of God? Not even close. Has quantum cosmology explained the emergence of the universe and why it's here? Not even close. He says, have the sciences explained why our universe seems finely tuned to allow for the existence of life? He writes, not even close. In other words, here's an agnostic saying to an atheist, there are some things you have to prove. Dare I even say there's some steps of faith that you're requiring all of us to take. Just take the universe, for example. Why does our universe exist? Well, there are three main options to answering that question. The first one is that God created the universe. It's an extraordinary claim, but let's look at the other options. Option number two is the universe just popped into existence on its own which is odd, because the physical stuff of our everyday life doesn't just pop into existence. I mean, water bottles don't just appear. Neither does matter and other physical elements. Something doesn't come out of nothing. Something can't come out of nothing. That's logically and scientifically impossible, but that's option number two. Option number three is that the universe has always existed. Now, up until about 100 years ago, this is what most scientists would have said was true. They would say, well, the universe has just always been here. But then starting about 100 years ago, with an experiment done by the astronomer Edwin Hubble out at the Mount Wilson Observatory in California, scientists began to realize that the universe has not always existed. That our universe is expanding, and when you trace that back, you discover that there was a point in time when the universe didn't exist. Even atheist uh, philosophers and physicists are confirming this. Look at what Stephen Hawking says. He says, all the evidence seems to indicate that the universe has not existed forever. Let me try to summarize this for you in a three-point argument. Point number one, the universe began to exist. We're here. Point number two, everything that begins to exist has a cause. In other words, something doesn't come out of nothing. 
And number three, therefore, the universe has a cause. Now, whenever I've shared this before, people will always kind of come back, and the question that they'll ask is this, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, well, then who created God? Have you ever had somebody ask you that question before? Like maybe your kids? You know, mommy, I just have a question. Who created God? You want some ice cream? I mean, it's like, huh? I don't know how to answer that question for my kids. You just go in the other room, you know? (laughs) And so, but notice premise number two here. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. God never began to exist. There's never a moment when God was non-existent. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And that actually makes logical sense. Because again, if something can't come out of nothing, then something has had to always exist. And that being is God. God is the cause of the universe. Now, this doesn't prove necessarily that God exists, but it makes sense and it points to the evidence that we have that God is the most likely explanation for this. The best reason to believe that God created the universe is how finely tuned our universe is. For instance, if you were watching the World Series of Poker and you saw somebody get 12 royal flushes in a row, what would you think? The odds of getting one royal flush, I had looked this up this week, 649,000, I think 739 or something like that, to one. That's just getting one royal flush. Getting two royal flushes in a row was 422 trillion to one. What would you think if someone on the World Series of Poker got 12 royal flushes in a row? You would go, well, that guy's cheating. That doesn't just happen on its own. There's no way. There's a cause to that. There's somebody who's designing that to happen. That's what secular scientists want you to believe about the universe. They want you to believe that just somehow we drew 12 royal flushes in a row. Because if you look at our distance to the sun, if it was just a fraction different, just a fraction closer or a fraction further away, and we're talking like zero, 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 just keep going, point one, then we would not be able to exist. If the ratio of electrons to protons was just a fraction different, if the amount of dark energy, if the gravitational pull and strength of gravity was just a fraction different, then we would not be able to exist. What are the odds of all of these factors just happening to come together on their own? The world's leading mathematician and physicist, Sir Roger Penrose, says he thinks it's about one to the power of 10 to the power of 123. Now, I'm not smart enough to write that number out for you, but the British astronomer, Sir Fred Hoyle, who used to be an atheist, and then as an astronomer, he began to study the science and the creation of the universe, and he came to believe in God. He says that the odds of the universe just coming into existence on its own would be like a tornado whipping through a junkyard, and all of a sudden you have a bowling 747. I mean, can you imagine there's wind comes through, and there's a Boeing 747. You go, no, 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 no. And our universe is more finely tuned than that plane. Before I leave this point, I want to point out something to you. That if there is a designer, then you are designed. That you are the workmanship of a perfect and powerful being. Secular scientists will tell you that you're just a product of the evolutionary process. But then they'll turn right around and say, but you have dignity and worth and value. 
That doesn't make any logical sense. If you're just a product of the evolutionary process, then you're an accident. There is no greater cause. There is no worth or value or purpose to your life. Christianity leads to a far different conclusion. Christianity says that you were created by God. And because of that, you have value and worth to him. Maybe there's some of us here today who need to be reminded of that. That maybe you've been cutting yourself. Maybe you've been going to a dark place mentally. Maybe you've just been starting to wonder about your value and your worth. And you need to hear today that you're created by God. Your body, your soul, your spirit, all of it was created by almighty God and he is perfect and powerful. In fact, this idea that you were created by God, it is the basis for all human rights and justice. Let me ask you, where did we get this idea that every single human being, no matter their social status, no matter their race, country of origin, talents or abilities, that they deserve to be treated equally? Where did we get that idea? Not from evolution. Martin Luther King and others who argued for that argued for it precisely based on the idea that we are all created in the image of God. And Martin Luther King was right. Science proves to the existence and points to the existence of God. Here's the second piece of evidence, morality. Years ago, Christian philosopher Ravi Zacharias was speaking at Cambridge University in front of an audience that was rather hostile to Christianity. And one PhD student in particular was really pushing on him. And so finally, Ravi asked him a question. He said, let me ask you something. If I brought a baby up here on the podium, and I began to cut that baby into pieces, and I killed it right before your eyes, would what I have just done been morally wrong? Silence in the room. Finally, the PhD uh, student kind of stumbles, and he says, well... I wouldn't like it, but I couldn't say that it was morally wrong. Now, I remember reading that for the first time. I almost fell off my chair. I thought, how can anyone, let alone a PhD student at Cambridge, not believe that killing a baby and cutting it to pieces would be morally wrong? But here's what that PhD student understood. He understood that if he said, yep, I believe that that is objectively and morally wrong, then Ravi Zacharias was going to ask him a follow-up question. And the follow-up question was going to be, by what authority do you declare that that is morally wrong? See, without a God outside of humanity declaring what's right and what's wrong, everything is just subjective. It's just up to us as human beings of what we think is right and what we think is wrong. Now, some people hear that and they go, I think that's good. I believe in the progress of humanity. And let me tell you, we can do better than God did in the Old Testament or New Testament, I'll tell you that. People who speak that way have not read enough history. Because let me ask you, what would happen if a group of people at a certain period of time in history began to believe that killing Jews was morally acceptable? Without a God outside of humanity telling us that that is objectively wrong, it becomes subjective. We may not like it. Maybe not what we would do. But why should our opinion carry more weight than their opinion? You say, because my opinion's right. Well, that's what they think too. You say, well, the majority of people agree with my opinion. Oh, really? Is that, is that how we decide what's right and wrong? We have a popular vote on it? 
You're still left with the same problem. It's subjective to that group of people at that time in history. Even atheists realize this. Atheist Richard Dawkins was being interviewed one time. And the interviewer said to him, hey, wait a second. Are you telling me that your belief that rape is wrong is simply just arbitrary? And Dawkins looked at him and said, yeah, you, you could say that. In other words, we've evolved to believe that rape is wrong, but we could certainly evolve a different way in the future. And there's no real reason why we evolved to believe that that's wrong today. It was just rather arbitrary. Mussolini, Stalin, and Hitler were all atheists who were taking natural selection out to its logical conclusion. Friends, the reason to care for the poor, the reason to promote racial equality, the reason to defend the rights of every individual, including the elderly and the disabled and the unborn, is because there is a God who created and cares for each person. Otherwise, all you should really care about is yourself. And yet, intuitively, we don't do that, do we? Intuitively, we all know that killing a baby is objectively morally wrong. That sexism and racism and slavery and oppression of the poor isn't just our opinion of what's wrong, it's objectively morally wrong. And we know that because there is a God and he has written his laws on our hearts. Third piece of evidence that points to the existence of God is experience. Now up until this point, I've been appealing to your intellect. But intellect alone is not enough to know. We don't wanna just believe that God exists, we want to know, and the way that you know is you experience him. In fact, if you were to ask me, Jason, how do you know that you know God? I would be tempted to say to you, I, I just know. I mean, I've walked with him, I've talked with him, I've experienced him working in my life, I've seen how he's changed my life. I've seen him answer prayers. My wife took our daughter Isabel to the YMCA recently and when they pulled into the parking lot, Isabel goes, oh, I hate this Y. Apparently she's very opinionated on which YMCA she's gonna go to around the Twin Cities. And my wife handled this so well, she said, you know, Isabel, what if there's somebody here tonight that God wants us to encourage. Why don't we just pray and ask God that he'll maybe show us if there's a person here who he wants us to encourage tonight. So they prayed in the car, they went in, Sarah dropped Isabel off at the kids programming, she went upstairs to work out, and this woman silently walked over to her and handed her this little note she had written on the back of a YMCA business card. And my wife said, you know, I don't know that I've ever seen this woman before, I don't know how she knew that I was your wife and that I go to Eagle Brook, but here's what the note said. It said, in a moment where I'm feeling hopeless and not valued, you appeared. This reminds me that God is with me always, even when I don't realize it. Thank you. Now, do you think my daughter walked out of the YMCA that night going, yeah, you know, I believe in God maybe, but who knows for sure? No, she walked out going, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, we had just prayed about this, and now you get handed this note, and she's going, I know. Let me ask you something. Do you know? Do you know that you know God? Do you know that you have eternal life? You can actually know those things. When my wife was growing up as a kid in vacation Bible school, they used to have this song that they would sing, and it was about all the different ways that you can't get to heaven. So they'd say, you know, you can't get to heaven by driving a car, oh no, because you know, a car don't go that far. And each lyric would talk about a different way that you can't get to heaven. The, the funniest one was they used to sing, you can't get to heaven by smoking pot. 
Oh, no. Can't get to heaven by smoking pot because you'll think you're already there and you're really not. That was in a kid's song. I said, what church were you going to as a little kid? It was a, it was a Baptist church. But as funny as that is, the, the idea of the song is right. Now, there's so many different ideas out there on how a person gets to heaven, but there's really only one way. You don't get to heaven by being baptized. It's a great thing to be baptized, but that's not how you get to heaven. You don't get to heaven by being a good person. You hear people say, well, you know, I'm a good person. I've tried to do more good things than bad things, but that's not how you get to heaven. You don't get to heaven by just believing that God exists. Even Satan believes that. I, mean, I don't know if you believe in a spiritual being named Satan or not, but Satan, he believes that God exists. He knows it. And yet it doesn't do him all that much good, does it? Because the kind of faith that saves is not just a I believe that God exists kind of faith. It's a I trust him. I believe that he died to pay for my sins. I believe that and I trust him to the core of my being. And that kind of faith isn't a feeling. This is so critical because I talk to people and they'll say, well, you know, I don't feel very close to God. And, you know, I'm starting to have these doubts and questions. And I always say, you know what? Faith is not a feeling. Feelings come and go. But look at what Jesus himself says in John 3. He says, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. It's not based on feelings. Jesus says, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Several years ago, my wife had to have an endoscopy done, which is where they put a camera down into your stomach. And for some reason, her body had a really negative reaction to the medications that they had given to her. And her body actually started to shut down. Her heart rate dropped dramatically. It was very scary. There was machines beeping, doctors raced over, and Sarah said she could feel the life being sucked out of her body. She said, I, I thought this was it. And I want you to put yourself there for just a moment because we're all going to be in a spot like that someday. And she said, you know, my first thought was, I could feel the weight of my sin. I could feel that on my own, my good works were not going to be enough. But then she said, I thought, you know what? I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died to pay the penalty for my sins. And I believe that three days later, he rose again so that I will rise again as well. And she said this peace came over her. It's the kind of peace that you get when you've spent your life walking with God and talking with God. Now, thankfully for me, the doctors changed the medication and everything was fine. But like I said, I want you to put yourself in that moment. And I want you to ask yourself, do you have that peace? Do you have that assurance do you have that peace that says, you know what, I've walked with God, I've talked with God, I've believed in Jesus Christ, I know him, I know that he's paid the penalty for my sins and that I too will rise again one day and I have that peace and that assurance? Or are you saying, you know, I, I'm not sure. You know, I, I, kinda, I think God exists, but I don't really know and I'm, I'm kind of just bottle flipping and we'll just, here it goes, nothing. In just a moment, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I believe that for some of you, today is your day to take this logical belief that God exists and move it eight inches from your head down into your heart 
and to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and to recognize that there is a God who created you and he loves you and he has a purpose for your life and you can begin to live from this day forward knowing him and living out his purposes for you. There are others of you here today who might say, you know what, I, I'm just, I'm not there yet. And that's perfectly okay. As you leave today at all of our campuses, we're gonna give you this little card and it has the topics for the next five weeks of this series on it. And I'm gonna ask you, would you give this five weeks? Would you give God five weeks to investigate the claims of Christianity to see if maybe God would take some of your doubts and questions and he would begin to push those to the side and you would come to this point of saying, you know what, I, I do believe. This is the biggest decision of your life. It, it deserves five weeks. But right now at all of our campuses, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And for many of you, maybe today is your day that you say, you know what, I know. And I have that peace. You can remain seated. Let's pray together. Lord, there are many of us here who have that peace and that assurance. We believe in you. We've put our faith and trust in you. We're, we're really banking our whole eternity on you and what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. God, at times we believe, but there's unbelief that creeps in. And right now, Lord, I pray against unbelief. I pray for a strengthening of faith in their life. I pray that today's message has helped give them some reasons for why they believe what they believe, will help them answer questions of people who might ask them, you know, why do you believe that? But God, I pray for their faith and we thank you for the peace and the assurance that we have from you. God, there are others of us here today who would say, you know, I, I'm not sure where I'm at, but I want it. I would love that peace and that assurance to just know that my security and my eternity is secure. And God, even more than that, I want to know you. I want to know your love and your purpose and I want to see you working in my life. And God, right now, I'm just going to lead them in a prayer. Lord, I acknowledge that my sin has separated me from you, that if left to myself, I just, I drift from you. But right now in this moment, God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe that he rose again. And God, I pray that one day I could too rise again and have eternal life with you forever. God, you promise that whoever believes in you will have eternal life. Right now in this moment, God, we are confessing with our lips. We are believing in our heart in Jesus Christ and we are receiving the gift of eternal life from you and God I pray that they would have that peace and that assurance in their life Lord we pray all these things in Jesus name Amen Hey before you run off just one thing if you prayed that prayer with me we want to help you get started in the right way we don't want you just to pray a prayer and then go on with your life so stop up at the Next Steps area in the lobby of your campus. We have a free Bible we want to give you and some other things that will help you get going. Or you can text the word BELIEVE to 555-888. We'll send you those resources for free. All we want to do is help get you started in a new relationship with Jesus Christ. Have a great weekend, everybody.